Welcome to the Acres of Diamonds podcast with Bob Larson, a nationally recognized expert in the analysis of complex life insurance structures. In the Acres of Diamonds podcast, Bob talks about the flip side of owning a life insurance policy that your client has outgrown or that has underperformed. We share insight and strategies to help advisors maximize the effectiveness and value of their clients' life insurance policies. Hello and welcome to Acres of Diamonds with Bob Larson from The Settlement Masters. Today, Bob and I are going to be talking about how to market for life settlements. In fact, mainly Bob's going to be talking about that because I've got a lot of questions about it. And uh, I know that there's a lot of advisors out there and a lot of professionals that have these same questions. So let's get into it. Good morning, Bob. How are you? I'm wonderful. Today is the day of completion. So I'm expecting miracles to occur. All right. I'm good. (laughs) Sounds good. We're talking about marketing for life settlements. Bob, the marketing aspect of life settlements obviously is an important part to make it part of anybody's practice. What would you tell those professionals listening? Where should they start? Well, Eric, it's a good question. It's a good place to start. When the profession of selling starts with informed objective knowledge and the belief in the service that you have, it's a game changer. And what I mean by that is that Most people that expand their practice into areas that they have not been in before have to deeply believe in what they're doing. If a professional goes into it just for the money, it's the wrong motivation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If they really believe that the service that they're performing is a game changer for people, and if they really believe that it's the right thing to do for seniors, it'll make all the difference in their marketing. So anything I could tell you about marketing would be mechanistic unless they believe in it. And I can certainly help them do that because the statistics, the damage that's being done in the senior community is tremendously bad. And so the belief is really an important part along with knowledge. Yeah, I've been told for years that I could sell ice to an Eskimo, but what people don't know, and I I correct them on this, that no, what I'm talking about right now, I'm very passionate about. So that's why I'm very convincing. That's why I bring my point across but I couldn't sell something that I didn't believe in. I I don't think that I could be a used car salesman, Bob, because I don't know where that used car has been. I couldn't stand behind a product like that just because I don't know the history. I like to know everything and I like to know all the facts. So what was a, what does a professional need to know about settlements to be able to add it to their practice? The first thing is that settlement is not a product. Mm -hmm. When I hear people talk about they're going to sell settlements, I correct them like you would, correct someone that says you could sell uh, ice to an Eskimo. It's not a product. It's a service. Mm -hmm. It's a process and a service. And it's an important service right now because the market is in demand of people to look at their life insurance contracts and determine whether or not they're long-term or are they impacted by the COI cost, the cost of insurance Mm -hmm. increase. If that's impacted, then the service of reviewing their contract and looking to see if that contract can be saved. If it can't be saved and they're going to let it go, then exchanging it in the institutional market may be a good choice for them. Mm -hmm. Do you have some examples that you can give us? Yeah, you know, this is the important part of what we do. And belief sometimes comes from your own experience. And sometimes you can borrow the experience of others and say, I know of this story or I've heard of this or the people I work with have had this happen. Mm -hmm. 
The first one I want to give you, I'll just call him Pat. Pat was referred to me by his legal team, Dowling, Dowling, and Keeler in Fresno, California. And it was during a period that Pat's uh, clothing business, which was profuse, it had stores all over the country, but for some other reason, it was not clicking as it normally had. And so the, the law firm asked me to come in and vet a recommendation that came from their CPA about not converting their term insurance, letting it go, because right now the economics of the clothing business wasn't what was needed to take on the additional cost of insurance. Plus, in addition to that, as a state, it reduced drastically. So the CPA said, you should drop this. Well, when I went out there, I said to him, what is it going to take, Pat, to make your business grow and get through this period? And he said, I need to do a national catalog. If I had a catalog and I distributed it nationally, I know based on the quality of our firm and our reputation, things would turn around quickly. I said, why don't you do it? He says, it costs a half a million dollars. I said, well, why don't you go get it? He said, frankly, Bob, this is personal confidential, but the bank has cut my line of credit off. So I said, okay, let me see what I can do. Let me look at the insurance portfolio as an asset and let me see if there's anything in there that I can tell you that might help. So I went back and I had my team do all the things that we do, collecting medical records and packaging it and sending it to actuarial companies. And what I found was the term policies that the CPA had told him to drop were worth almost a million twenty-five thousand dollars in mm. cash to him now, if he were to settle the contract. Wow. He absolutely was not going to keep them. The CPA told him get rid of the policies, because at the end of a term of a term policy, the premium converts to permanent at his current age, and the premium was going from seven thousand a year to seventy thousand a year to maintain a permanent contract, and he just didn't have the money. The nine, the million twenty-five thousand dollars went into a catalog and work-related monies. The catalog is now being published nationally. It is the number one profit center in the company. Do I feel good about that? When I called him and said I've got over a million dollars, he said, "Don't play with me, Bob. I've got a <laughs> situation that's serious." Yeah. I said, "Pat, I'm not kidding. I'm telling you that the market has claimed that your policies are worth that kind of money." Another case was a family that had done great estate planning, and they had all the gifts that they had made were deferred gifts to their children. So the children really didn't get anything. But what they wanted to do is to find out whether the children had the capability of being self-sufficient, which most parents that we work with in the high net worth marketplace, they really want to know that. They see friends that have enabled their kids. This particular family wanted to know can my kids be self-sufficient? Mm -hmm. They had done all the estate planning, so they had no estate tax, uh, estate tax exposure. So they came to me and they said, what is the cash value of our policies? And I said, I'll be happy to get that for you. What's your objective? What are you going to be doing? And they said, well, we're going to cash them in and give the money to our kids. I said, before you do that, let me look at the policies and come up with some ideas if I can. What we always do for the sake of liability and for the sake of the client, is we figure all the ways that they could keep that policy. We show them everything, reducing the face amount. And the professionals on this that are listening to this will know what I'm talking about. We do everything that we can to show them what to keep it. And then we go into the institutional market 
to find out if there's any greater value than the cash value. The cash value was somewhere around $300,000 and they were going to give it to their oldest son. And when I put it in the market and I found out that that, that policy was worth $2.3 million. Mm. So 300,000 to over $2 million. Here's the interesting part of the story. I met with the son yesterday and he told me that that $2 million that he got is now worth $10 million in the real estate market place. He took that money, put it to work, and it worked to show his family that he was entrepreneurial enough. And that was another case. The last case I'll tell you about was a family that had not been paying on their policies. The insurance company had, uh, which many know this, they had raised the cost of insurance inside the policy. They had borrowed money on the policy, as so many of them do, and they had not been paying premium. So we did a current and forced ledger to find out what they needed to do to keep the policy. And what they needed was 500000 a year for a $5 million policy. Jeez. And they said, you know, there's no way we can afford that. So I reduced the face amount down. I came back to them and said, you know, for 275000 a year, you can keep 2700000 or something of that nature. And they said, well, we can't pay the two seventy five. We need to drop the contract. And I said, well... I have a conflict here because you really need the liquidity as a part of your state. Let me see what I can do. And I went out into the market. I got a cash offer. And I also got a retained death benefit offer, which was an amount of money that the buyer, the institutional buyer, will collaterally assign back to the family trust, the irrevocable life insurance trust. They'll assign back a good portion of the $5 million, which they did do. So they ended up getting a almost a three point something million dollar paid up policy, paid no more money, no more premium had to be spent, and the policy uh, would last for the life of the client. The client happened to die in six months, which was not expected. Mm-hmm. When he died, the three point four million I think came in, where they would have had nothing because they were about to drop the policy. Yeah. So that. That made me feel good. We did the right thing. We did a service. And the end result was the family was better and stronger and sent us roses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I bet. Those are great examples of success stories. But I want to change gears here a little bit because I know that the settlement industry has gone through, we've talked about this in other podcasts, but the settlement industry itself has gone through some rough periods. And insurance companies and broker dealers have prohibited their sales force from participating and giving this kind of service. For those that are in that scenario, or even those members that work with the broker dealers or the insurance companies themselves that are listening to this, what would you say to them? Well, I run across that every day. Every day we do webcasts for people to educate them on what is the settlement process, what does it do and what's in it for them. I run across it every day and it's kind of an archaic response to the settlement industry. First of all, the life insurance industry did not like originally the, the settlement business because the when the settlement company buys a policy, they keep that policy for the life of the insured. Their investment return is when the insured passes. When we dug into why they were not happy about that, we found out that a life insurance company prices a life insurance policy when they issue it to have a 37% lapse ratio, meaning that 37% of the policies that they issue 
will be cashed in or dropped before they die. So it's a profit center for the life insurance industry. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden, when the settlement industry was buying contracts as an investment and keeping them till the person died, it shifted their entire pricing and model and profit model into the tank. And the reinsurance companies told them to stop. They couldn't do that. And so many of the life insurance companies have adjusted their pricing as a result. The other thing that happened in this period was this thing called STOLI. And what it was is some brilliant crook <laughs> person mm -hmm. came up with an idea of getting a bank to pay the premium on a life insurance contract for two years and then allowing the client to take it over by paying back the premium or selling it and then getting a proceeds from the sale. That was not a good process because, again, it entered into the settlement industry keeping the policies that they bought back. So it just changed the entire mortality mm -hmm. structure. That's gone. It's illegal to do that now. It's a fraudulent transaction. All of this is in the past, but sometimes when something happens and the name settlements is attached to it, people think of what they heard, and this goes back almost eight, nine years ago when the industry took a shift. Today, the regulators are requiring 40 two states, the regulators are requiring the insurance companies to notify anybody 65 and older that's dropping or cashing in their policy that a settlement might be an option. So I tell you, if you're doing it compliantly, as we do, if you're working the process, showing people how to keep their policy versus the value of keeping it in the settlement industry and compare the math of the two and have everybody sign off, you're doing the right thing. You're doing a service that will help three out of four people. It's a matter of education, Eric. Today, it's highly regulated. Today, people are safe when they sell to an institutional trust and deal through a broker that does heavy compliance in the process of evaluating, is it right for them? We give them the math. They look at it and decide which is better, keeping it or selling it. Mm -hmm. and it's their decision. It's not a sale. It's a service. Well, every advisor that's listening to this right now understands compliance is, is not fun. <laughs> you know, there's regulatory bodies out there that are out there doing their job, but it makes it very difficult for the advisor and the broker dealers to make sure that they are covering all their bases. I, I worked internally in a broker dealer for a while, Bob, that they had gotten fined $50,000 back when email really first started, when email started to be a big thing. Now we're talking way back in the day, but they got fined $50,000 by a regulatory body because of a mistake they had made. So that mm -hmm. made them very, very gun shy, apprehensive, if you will, to do anything on social media, which over the last 10 years, that has been the biggest thing in the, in the marketplace for a lot of people. But they finally did get into the social media arena, and they're doing fantastic with it. But that tied the hands of all their advisors for a number of years until yeah. they got to the point where they would do it. And it sounds like that's kind of the same thing where, again, once bitten, twice shy kind of thing. You hear the, the settlement industry, and you get these bad ideas in your head of what's happened in the past. But that has been fixed. And we've spoken about that on a couple other podcasts as well. Well, Eric, I'm glad you yes. brought this up because I want to add a tagline. Yeah, please. We highly recommend, and I'll cover this later, we highly recommend that the professional advisor partner through us. We do all the compliance work. They don't have to do anything. Perfect. Cue us up and let us do what we do. That's and outstanding. They get the majority of any comp that's involved in the case, if they can take comp. 
Awesome. That's great. No, that, that's definitely a bonus and everybody needs to hear that. All right. Well, let's get back to marketing. Where would you suggest advisors or anybody listening to this go to get the information so they can get started? We've kind of set a path that's so far different than the rest of the industry because of our insurance experience and our need to make sure that people are safe and informed when they do business with us. I would recommend that they need to find an insurance experience settlement broker. I mean, somebody that's actually been in the business and been successful at the business. I have two companies. I have the Rushmore private client group that issues millions of dollars and and I say mega millions of dollars of insurance annually. We set up the settlement masters in 2008 because so many of our clients were having a difficult time and they were being not told many things by brokers in the settlement business. We created a compliant, transparent business and we made it a partnership. And I can tell you a lot about that, but they need to find an insurance experience settlement broker, which is going to be difficult because we're probably the only one in the industry right now with the kind of background we have. We want to find somebody that's doing the right thing for the client. Again, settlement is not a product. Mm -hmm. It's a service. So they got to find a broker that's got insurance experience that does the right thing for the client and make sure that they'll give you extensive training about where a settlement fits and how to talk. In other words, how to talk. You don't say, would you like to sell your policy? You say, there are some issues in the life insurance industry today that are destroying policies in the senior class. Mm -hmm. They need to have those policies reviewed. And we do just that. And that's what you need to talk to people about because it's a service of reviewing the contract, comparing the math between keeping it and selling it. That's the right thing for the client. Yeah, absolutely. And there's other industries that do this very thing where they do an inspection. My son is a mechanic, Bob, and he will do a 120 point inspection or whatever it is on a vehicle all over it to see what is doing well, what's not doing well, what you probably need to fix quickly and what can wait a little bit. And that's what you're doing with the life insurance policy. There's nothing different in that. Being able to identify and say, okay, here's some things that are wrong with this and here are some options to fix it. And keeping it, like you said, is, is one option. If you're going to keep it, this is what you have to do to keep it, to maintain it, just like a vehicle. And then if you're going to sell it or possibly sell it, this is what you can do, and this is the benefit to you. Exactly. And I think that, again, people do get gun-shy about it because of the name, but this is something that is absolutely important for the client and just to have those options because if it's better for them to keep the policy, no one's ever going to suggest, or if somebody is ethical, they're not going to suggest that they sell it or get rid of the policy if it's in their best interest to keep it. And that's what we're talking about, just the best interest of your client. Exactly. So, Bob, you've mentioned values before, and what are some of the values you've mentioned that you should be looking for in a broker specifically? I talked a little bit about that a minute ago, but it's so important that you find a broker that has extensive product experience in the, in the life insurance industry. I say that they have to have the ability to understand the estate planning, because a lot of people that we talk to have their life insurance and irrevocable trusts. And my team knows and is schooled on these extent, these advanced uh, concepts. But you have to find a broker that understands that, understands the facts that a irrevocable trust owning a policy is taxed different than an individual. You want to find a broker that understands that when somebody settles a contract, and that's their choice to do that, 
that they've used up some of their life insurance capacity, meaning that a person can only buy so much life insurance and have it in force on their life. And if they sell a contract, that policy is still in force and still a part of their capacity. So we have that as a, a, a sign-off item. Brokers don't understand that. They don't talk about that. They just talk about selling your policy. As I said before, it's not a product. It's a service. And when you have somebody that understands that and believes that in the right situation, it is a great service. That's part of marketing. Mm -hmm. It's your belief in the fact that you're doing something that I have to tell you that 90% of the insurance industry does not do. And they do not, 90% of them do not review their contracts annually with their clients. They don't have time to do that. They only have time to run out and find a new prospect. This is an important part of the fiduciary responsibility of a professional to a client. And let me just say this. Uh, we've just done some research on what is fiduciary responsibility. Those of you that are CLUs, CHFCs, C CFPs, and the bylaws, it talks about a financial fiduciary responsibility to a client doing the right thing for them, helping them preserve their investment portfolio, helping them preserve their life insurance portfolio, doing the right thing. That's what the fiduciary laws are suggesting in every professional area. And believe me, there's going to be some lawsuits that are going to occur in the insurance industry by those that had somebody cash in the policy to buy an annuity or do something that was not done in the best interest of the client. Yeah. And that happens... More often than not, and it's it's really frustrating to hear that because, again, it feels like the seniors specifically are being taken advantage of. Right. Yeah. All right. Now, Bob, I have a lot more questions to go through when it comes to, specifically when it comes to marketing life settlements, but I know we're running short on time. Can we do a part two on this podcast? Absolutely. Oh, fantastic. All right. Well, do you have any closing thoughts for us today as we wrap up today's? We started off talking about marketing, and what I'd like to say is that the best thing that you can do, and we'll help you do that, whether you do business with us or not, give us a call and let us help you understand the things that need to be done in order for you to get equipped. Mm -hmm. uh, I would highly recommend that you partner with a firm that protects you and that does all the things to tell you that they would never do anything to overcome or to take your client away from you. Mm -hmm. We do all that. We make sure that you know that we will sign a covenant not to compete. We give you EDNO on every case. That's the kind of broker you want. Experienced, cares about clients, does a complete transparent process, gets the highest price in the market available. Call me and I will help direct you to the information that you need and our website, which is thesettlementmasters.com the T-H-E settlementmasters.com. And our work number is 877-927-7243. That's 877-927-7243. Fantastic. Hey, Bob, you've got a quote that you like to say at the end of these things, and I would love to hear it again. <laughs> <laughs> this is me for me. That's right. Uh, I've done this a long time ago because I used to be a procrastinator. Now, on the plains of hesitation, bleak the bones of countless millions, that on the Donna victory sat down and there they died. Don't sit down, take action on this. This is a professional service that you need to add to your battle bag. Absolutely. And I have coached many, many, many advisors. And the one thing that I work with them on the most is time blocking. So all of you advisors out there, time block, set aside some time, 
so that you're not hesitating, so that you're not procrastinating. Block some time on your calendar to make sure you make this phone call or do some research. You don't have to call directly. Do some research, find some different brokers out there that do this, and then compare them with Settlement Masters and see what you get, and then make the call because the education you will receive is fantastic. Again, thank you all for listening today to the Acres of Diamonds podcast with Bob Larson. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Bob comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks for listening today. And don't forget that this is part one of two. And I know one of my questions for next time is going to be about how do you prospect for these? How do you, specifically do you find the prospects? And I'm going to make Bob answer that question. So <laughs> tune in for part two of this. And for everyone at the Settlement Masters, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Acres of Diamonds podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Thank you.